This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. For Mary to be the mother of Jesus and her reasons for rejoicing here in the text. But before I begin, I, I can't help but be reminded this Christmas season about all of the traditions that I'm sure many of us share together, whether it's setting up a nativity or we have these, this Christmas village that we put out and with lights in it, and it seems to get bigger and bigger. Maybe not this year it didn't get bigger, but it always seems like it gets bigger. We Perhaps you go see the Nutcracker or a Christmas carol, or you watch Christmas movies on your television, uh, the classics, you know, Elf and <laughs> Christmas Story and uh, Die Hard, for those of you that argue about that on Twitter, if it's a Christmas uh, movie or not. But I was reminded this year about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that classic stop motion that as a kid I remember being so excited about. I actually read a news article this year, uh, somebody reflecting on it, criticizing it, because basically saying that when you go back and rewatch it, everybody's a jerk except Rudolph. Even Santa is a jerk. And the only value Rudolph has is when he makes himself useful with his nose. And what is the moral of that? But, you know, there's a part of that movie, The Island of the Misfit Toys, and you remember that part, I was showing a, uh, a little clip on YouTube to one of my kids who didn't remember, and you know, the Jack in the Box that greets him, his name isn't even Jack, it's Charlie. And what kid wants to play with a Charlie in the box? These, this island of misfit toys, these outcasts, these rejects, these losers, these defective toys, the outsiders. Well, for the nation of Israel on the eve of Jesus' birth, this is how they felt. They had been conquered. They had been taken away into captivity into Assyria and later into Babylon. They had returned to their land, but they were never really free from rule, whether it was the Greeks or the Romans at the birth of Jesus. And they were under the heel of Rome. And Proverbs tells us in chapter 13, verse 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And, and the Jewish people, they were a people who were heart sick. Because not only had they been taken into captivity, but it had been over 300 years since the writing of the book of Malachi. God had been silent. No prophecies, no promises. Just silence. And then... For Mary to hear these words from an angel appearing to her, telling her she's going to have a baby even though she's a virgin. And I want to remind you, it was just as impossible to believe 2,000 years ago as it is today. And yet we see throughout the book of Luke that we're in tonight that what God does is He shows His concern for the downtrodden and the outcasts, the poor, the tax collectors, sinners, Samaritans, even the Gentiles. And here in the text before us, he shows his concern for Mary. 
And I find it fascinating that Mary sings this song, and Luke probably heard it from her personally because he investigated all of these things at the beginning of chapter 1. And he heard Mary's story and this song from her directly, probably, and she sang it while she was pregnant, we know from the text. And we don't know what time of the pregnancy it was. We know it was earlier on because she goes back home, and then Elizabeth has the baby, and then she gives birth to Jesus. But do you remember what was happening In the early time of her pregnancy, Joseph wanted to divorce her quietly. He wanted to put her away because he was embarrassed. Because after all, was she really a virgin? That's impossible. And so her name was in disrepute, at least among the neighborhood. Thinking about it, even when Jesus grew up, they accused him of being an illegitimate child. And yet she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, John the Baptist, in her belly, leaps for joy, and Mary's believing the promises of God, and she's going to respond by singing, full of joy, that I'm believing God's promise even though I'm an outcast, an outsider, even though I'm one of the lonely and least. And so it's no surprise that part of the content of her song is about God bringing salvation to the poor and downtrodden in the first couple verses, and God bringing justice for the lowly and the hungry in the last part of the song. Now, we don't have time this evening to go through all of the Old Testament hopes that were fulfilled in this song, all of the illusions. But Mary is presented by Luke here as an ideal believer. Someone who's hoping in the promises of God, and as a result, she's praising God. Verse 45, Elizabeth says about her, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth hears the whole story, and she says, Mary, you're blessed because you're believing the promises of God. That God's going to do what He says He's going to do regarding you giving birth to Jesus. And so she bursts out in song. Now, not only was Mary probably considered a misfit, an outsider because of the circumstances of this virgin birth, but women in general in the Roman Empire, they weren't considered trustworthy. In fact, they're not the only ones in Luke 1 and 2 that are considered, by Roman standards, untrustworthy witnesses. The next people that the angels reveal themselves to, the shepherds, They couldn't even uh, be a witness in a court of law. They were so untrustworthy. And yet this witness to who Jesus is is given here by Mary and then by later the shepherds as they hear the angels. All of heaven emptying. All of heaven. I, I got to imagine it was every angel in heaven. They wanted to come see the birth of Jesus and they sing praises and the shepherds are like yeah we need to check this out we better not you know miss out on this that talk about the ultimate FOMO right there fear of missing out is missing out on who this Jesus is so Mary's presented as the ideal woman of faith the ideal believer by Luke 
Now, to her song in verses 46 and 47, she begins by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I can't even say those words calmly. She's excited, her soul, all that she is, everything that she has, she bursts out in praise. Why? She's anticipating what God is going to do. In fact, throughout Luke 1 and 2, you see this over and over and over. We heard it already, bringing salvation. The child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. That he's the one who's going to sit on the throne of David and reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Later, we're going to hear in verse 69 that God has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. That he's going to bring salvation in verse 71. Salvation to his people. Verse 77. Forgiveness of their sins. Over in chapter 2. He's going to continue. Verse 11. Unto you is born this day the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And again in verse 30. He says my eyes have seen your salvation. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that salvation is coming to earth. All of God's promises that he had given to his people, all of his plan to undo what happened in the fall, everything to remove the sin and death and the curse, God is now bringing it to fruition. And he chose Mary, a woman of no renown, of no repute. She wasn't famous. She wasn't an influencer. She didn't have her TikTok account and her Instagram. She didn't have any you know, sponsors to pay her way. She was a nobody. And because of the circumstances of the virgin birth, she was an outcast. And yet God gives her great reason for rejoicing. And here she says it, verse 48, the first reason is he's bringing salvation to those who need it most, the poor and the downtrodden. In fact, she says, verse 48, he's looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, for now on all generations will call me blessed. Why? Not because of some intrinsic personal worth or holiness on her part, but because of who she was going to give birth to. She's the mother of Jesus, our Savior. And so, rightly so, we should bless her name for believing the promises of God and being obedient and giving birth to Jesus. And so she praises God. Verse 49, she praises Him first for His power. He who's mighty has done great things. This baby boy, in fact, was going to be called El Gabor, a mighty hero of a God. She praises Him in verse 50 for His holiness. Holy is His name. Now, when Mary speaks of God's holiness, she's not referring only to his moral perfection, but referring to his act of righteousness and justice. The fact that he keeps his promise and does the right thing. God said he was going to send a savior and he kept his promise. He did the right thing. He's righteous. He's holy. His holy character is reflected in his holy deeds. And what does he do? He brings an answer to his promises, and he gives it to the humble and the lowly. His mercy is those who fear him from generation to generation. 
verses 50 to 53, he's going to go on and say that he's exalted, verse 52, those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry, verse 53. He's helped his servant Israel, verse 54. But then she says, back in verse 50, she also praises him not only for his power, not only for his holiness, his righteousness, but also for his mercy in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him. God's gracious mercy comes upon the humble, the devout, comes upon Mary and she sees it as I'm a recipient of your mercy because I fear you, I obey you. It's remarkable that she sees this act of her becoming pregnant with Jesus to be a great act of mercy. That is, it's not because she deserved it. It's not what she deserved. God is giving her something she doesn't deserve. He's giving her mercy. By her a sinner being the mother of Jesus. And she understands it. So her first reason for praising is that God has brought salvation to the poor and downtrodden. And Mary understands that she is in need of this same salvation. She's a recipient of this mercy. This child that she's going to give birth to is going to be her Savior as well. And she believes God's promises regarding him. She doesn't stop there, verses 51 to 53. She gives a second reason for rejoicing. Not, not only is God bringing salvation to the lonely, to the least, to the poor, to the downtrodden, to the outcasts, to the misfits, He's also bringing justice for them to those who are lowly, those who are hungry, those who are His servants. And He does it with a strong arm, verse 51. He's shown strength with His arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now, her talking about God's strong arm, that's a, that's a really uh, rich picture from the Old Testament. For example, in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glories of God. The sky, it proclaims His handiwork. The Hebrew word there is like finger play. You know, like when your kids bring you home a picture of their finger painting from kindergarten and you stick it on the fridge. All of creation... The heavens and the earth are like God's finger play. What a picture. But in Isaiah twice and in Jeremiah once, it says when God brings salvation to his people, he bears his arm. He rolls up his sleeves. He exposes his arm to get into the mix. Now those of you who are old enough would know he's not putting on the Ritz when he bears his, rolls up his sleeves. If you don't know that reference, ask Chris. He's shown strength, Mary says, with his arm. What does this mean? He has shown his power in fulfilling his promises. He keeps his word. That means he's able to save. He's able to deliver. He's able to bring justice. And how does he demonstrate it? By scattering the proud and exalting the lowly. You know, Jesus, when he came... 
Over and over he said this, he taught this. I didn't come for the healthy, he said, but for the sick. They need a physician. He didn't come for those who thought they were doing just fine. He came for those who were broken and lost and ruined by the fall. Friend, is that where you are? Are you wore out by this virus, by this culture, by the politics, by the uncertainties of life? Are you heavy burdened? See, Jesus came to relieve your burden. He came to deliver the outcast and the oppressed. He came to bring salvation and deliverance and peace and joy. And we see it here with Mary. She had every right to complain about her circumstances. She was unlawfully accused of being someone who was immoral. No one believed her story that she was pregnant without having sex. No one believed it that she was a virgin. And yet she rejoiced because God was keeping his promises. And she hadn't even seen the face of Jesus yet. And here we are on the other side, knowing that Jesus was born and that he was born to live and to go to a cross and to die for our sins in our place so that we could go free and be forgiven and have access to God and draw near to God that he drew near to us. You see, Jesus, the reason he feeds the hungry and the reason he gives sight to the blind and the reason he delivers those in bondage is because he is a wonderful savior. He is a mighty God. He is the prince of peace, this one who was born. And so Mary concludes, and she says, all of God's promises are certain, verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant, just like he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, in remembrance of his mercy, she says. You see, he keeps his promises. Now, we don't have time to go back to Abraham. This is the story of the Bible, though. From the opening pages of Genesis, God told Abraham, I'm going to send a hero, a deliverer, a savior, and he's going to be one of your kids, one of your children. And he kept repeating it to David and his descendants. And there, in a manger, in an animal trough, in Bethlehem, a remote part of the Roman Empire, Mary gave birth to Jesus. And he is the Savior of the world, the promised hero, Messiah, Savior, Deliverer. You see, God keeps his promises. And in Jesus' kingdom, in the kingdom of God, there is a great reversal of the world's value system. The last will be first. That is the humble and the poor and the outcasts and the misfits become first. They're the ones receiving salvation. The first will be last. The proud and arrogant become last because they reject the salvation and instead receive divine judgment from the one who is holy, holy, holy. Now Jesus, though, he's the means by which all of God's promises are fulfilled. And the good news of Christmas, the good news is that God the Father sent his son into the world to bring salvation 
for the misfits and the outcasts and the outsiders and the hopeless and the brokenhearted. And friend, if you find yourself in that condition tonight, He is ready and willing to save. He's ready and willing. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get right. You come to Him believing that He is your Savior, that He died for your sins on the cross, that He was raised again, and you have salvation. You have this great hope. Mary was hoping in this promise. It's why we call her blessed. She's a picture of what it means to believe in the promises of God. And when she gave birth to Jesus, God proved that he keeps his promises. Would you believe his promises this evening? Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for Mary and her faithfulness and the fact that she was clean.